This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza. With me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather up to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We're in the middle of a series we've titled Ready, Set, Think, and it's all about these unseen, unknown factors that influence our mental framework and and how those things are shaping our thoughts really before we even have them. And what we think or this framework of how we think, it reveals so much about us and and we can see it play out in our everyday lives, in our situations, um, how we deal with troubles, how we deal with triumphs, um, even the simple stuff like how we pick a movie or what food we want for takeout. Hannah, do you see this where even the simple things of life kind of become a mirror for how you think under the surface? I think they do once you know to look for them. You know, it's that kind of phenomenon where you come across a new idea or you see a product for the first time and then for the next week you see it everywhere. And it's it's more like once you have eyes to see it, you begin to recognize it in yourself and in other people um, for sure. When I think about how I approach life um, and and how that plays out, I think on the surface I tend to be um, fairly positive and I'm I'm kind of a dreamer. Like let's do all the things and see all the things. I get excited about new things, and then because I have that as sort of like the undercurrent base, then when life comes at me, I tend to see things from that excited point of view rather than from a dampened point of view. And it's almost like I'm predictable or something. It's like my husband has known me long enough. He's like, oh, you're going to be excited about this, even when he's seeing all of the things that maybe aren't the good things of it. He will see all of those things and he'll be like, oh, but you're still excited (laughs) because I'm so fixated on the newness or, oh, we get to travel. Like if we get to go anywhere new, I'm just so excited, regardless of the troubles. So you're a so you're a kind of glass half full. I tend to be more glass full yeah half full yeah maybe all the way full yeah. sometimes and, and maybe <laughs> for no reason maybe that's why we work so well together because i tend to be a little bit of a glass half <laughs> empty person which are you the the glass you know, isn't only half empty it is smashed on the floor in pieces sort of person no not no, not, not that not bad. bad but like i i love to dream and i love to think of possibility but Almost immediately, I think of all the things that could go wrong. And I think of um, 
all the negatives. And, and my husband teases me about this. He's like, you're just so cynical all the time. And I'm like, nope, I am a realist. <laughs> I know what can go bad in this world. So, so like, here's an example. We, about a year and a half ago, we got this beautiful cat that joined our family. And I would never talk about a cat this way two years ago until we got this cat. And it's just been such a wonderful pet to have. Very easygoing, very clean, takes care of himself. His name is Francis. And everybody in the family loves this cat. And now that we're all attached to it, the only thing I can think about is... Francis is going to die someday, and then we're all going to be oh crushed. Oh, my goodness. So you've had him only a year and a half or so, but you're already preparing for the day. Yeah. I mean, like, the cat is, like, oh, two years no. old. Oh, no. And all I can think is, 10 years from now, this cat is going to die, and we're going to feel awful. <laughs> you're counting down the days of, well, one less day with Francis. <laughs> I'm sorry, Francis. I can't really attach myself to you anymore because I can't handle that kind of disappointment. <laughs> this is um, like the epitome of the that worst case survival handbook. Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And now I'm going to prepare for it way ahead of time just to brace myself yeah. from the in- inevitable. Now, I, I, in all fairness, I probably come by this honestly because – I lived with my grandparents when I was in college, and even back then, they were like, don't buy yellow, don't buy green bananas. I was like, what? Don't buy green bananas? And he's like, well, you don't know if you'll be around by the time they turn (laughs) yellow. No. No. That was a joke, though, right? I hope that was a joke. Well, we never had green bananas in the house. You buy them ready to eat, just in case you need to eat them on the way home, and you won't make it after that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I would say that those sorts of worst case, that's not what I tend to think about. And and I think because even you mentioning this thing about the bananas, it's so shocking to me. I think that's like a good um, gauge for how it is that my brain doesn't think this way. And I don't know a lot of those, um, what are they like? old wives tales or whatever, where it's like, oh, you don't buy the green bananas. And there's another one where you should not be taking showers in um, thunderstorms or something like that, where you can get electrocuted through the pipes. And I had never heard of that. And so some friends of mine were saying, oh, you should never do that. I was like, oh, well, I got a shower when I got a shower. So <laughs> if it's raining out, I'm doing it anyway. And And it's that sort of like, um, mentality of the f- the what if are the bad things going to happen? I, that's not where my brain tends to land. Yeah, and I think you know for various reasons, given background, um, you know the things you've experienced in life, we do tend to go either more pessimistic or more mm-hmm. optimistic. And I think my confessing to be something of a pessimist might surprise people who read my books because I. T- I tend to write toward yes. hope. Um, and, and even my last book, All That's Good, had this kind of buoyant optimism about it. I was trying, you know, to pursue that. And what re- readers need to understand is, like, I am working my way out of my cynicism. Like, I am actively trying to confront it. And through my writing, basically train mm. myself kind of out of that disposition. Mm-hmm. Your your writing definitely doesn't 
scream pessimistic to me just so just so you know i mean i don't know that people would enjoy reading it if it did but but that pointing toward hope and drawing us there we all need that because even though my my state tends to be more glass half full it's not like i don't ever have down days it's not like i never experience weariness from the world but there's something about what you're saying hannah it's almost like we have more like a bent either we we lean positive or we lean negative and how we lean it does affect how we process everything in life and as we've started this series, Ready, Set, Think, we're trying to get at what are the undercurrents that are are leading us to certain um, certain directions of thought, of, um, of opinion, certain um, conclusions about life and about situations. And if you presume things are good or they are bad, that does affect than how you react to all of life. And we show up to life with this disposition and understanding it or being aware of it, it it can help us as we interact with other people and as we deal with life issues. Right. So that's why we are calling this episode Good Thinking. And we really want to spend the rest of the time understanding not just should you be a pessimist, Mm -hmm. should you be an optimist, but, but what is like a redeemed, holistic Christian perspective on that question. Like if you look at the scripture, you, you've got both things in play. You know, we, we live under the curse and we're um, broken, sinful people. And that would lead you to kind of expect to encounter dysfunction in the world. And so you shouldn't be surprised when you find dysfunction. And it might even be uh, more prevalent than optimists recognize. But on the other hand, you've got this tension in scripture where, um, you know, in Genesis 1, God declares the world good, and there's life and abundance and redemption, and that would seem to fly in the face of some of the cynicism um, that we could be prone to. So it's this interesting problem, and like with our conversation with um, Jen Michelle in episode two about the difficulty of paradox, I think this is one of those um, situations where you've got these two truths in tension and you don't want to just downplay the other because your personality or your experience tends to lead you to being an optimist or tends to leading you to be a pessimist. This is true. I mean, you you don't want to let one overrule the other. I mean, you have to hold them together in tension. You have to have a way of tempering whichever way you lean. You need to be pulled a little bit in balance so that you are realistic. Um, you mentioned that, Hannah, that you think you're a realist. Um, being an idealist, that may sound nice, uh, but it can leave you with your head in the clouds rather than being a bit more grounded and understanding what's really going on. Or being a pessimist, you might be so pulled into the mire that you forget that God really does have good things in mind and that he did create the world and he intends to redeem it. So these are the the troubles that we all have because 
we're so aware of all the negative, especially, I think, with social media. I mean, you can't get away from the negative stories. There are just too many things in the world, and it's like a pile on. So so how do we do that? I feel like this is um, something that I need to talk through, and um, I know it is not something that is isolated to Christians, and yet I feel like we have a unique place where we have the ability to hope um meaning there's surety in our hope. And so I feel like from our perspective, we should be able to then present this as um, a a valid and attractive option to the world, understanding how we think and and believe. Yeah, I think there's definitely an apologetic in play that the Christian um, disposition should be something that's compelling and actually give clarity two conversations, um, rather than just falling into these typical categories, it should rise above Mm -hmm. both of them. Mm -hmm. And one thing that struck me as you were talking is the language that we use. Um, We almost um, will substitute the word realist for pessimism and idealist for Mm -hmm. optimism. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating about that is the language of realist or realism, the way we use it implies negativity and so there is this assumption that if you are actually living in the real world (laughs) then you will see what's bad with it and what i find fascinating about that is it pulls into play the question of what is real what is the realist Mm -hmm. state what is the truest state of the world? What is the truest state of people? And it reminds me of that kind of category that Lewis uses in uh, the Narnia books about deeper mm-hmm. magic. Um, like the the white witch when they're in uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the white witch is going to kill... Um, Aslan in place of Edmund and she says this is the law this is the this is the reality something must happen the the traitor must die and someone can take his place but this is reality and then there is this resurrection in the next chapter um hashtag spoiler alert I guess (laughs) um so Aslan comes back and there's this question of how did this happen? And he says, oh, you didn't know the deeper magic from before the dawn of time. You didn't actually know the real, the truer state of things. And I think that's part of what the Christian worldview offers, this kind of question of, you know, optimism versus pessimism, that there is a truer reality in play that we don't always see when we approach um, an issue or a conversation. I agree with that, where real doesn't have to equal negative. Real is, I think, being fully aware of all the variables. And the, the trouble is some of the variables at play are unseen. I mean, all the things that we know of what is going on in the spiritual realm, those things are hidden. So we tend to not notice them or give them as much um, um, credit as they're due because those things are working and real. And and because of that, we are, we are looking at what's real in terms of what we are seeing um, and what is obvious mm-hmm. before us. So what is real 
I mean, yeah, I think that's why we can lean into pessimism when we say real, because reality is there are lots of things that are broken and not good in this world. And to then say, oh, but but God promises to redeem, it feels like this big leap where we're discounting all the heartache and the brokenness and the trauma and yeah. all the bad things that are happening. So how do we deal with that? How how do we still have both of those things true where the the good side is almost the unseen side? So how do we cultivate mm. our eyes to see what yeah. seems to be not there? Well, you know, the scripture uses this category of walking by faith, not by sight. And to me, that's what you're describing is our tendency is to look at what's right in front of us and then to evaluate that surface. Is this good? Is this bad? And left to ourselves and our own experience, we're going to go one way or another Mm -hmm. with that, right? So when we are the source of evaluation, when our sight right in front of us is all we have to evaluate the world around us. Um, I think it is kind of a a Mm -hmm. twin cost. Mm -hmm. Some people will be positive, some people will be (laughs) negative, whatever. Um, But the question of faith, walking by faith, is a way of seeing the world that incorporates those realities that are not visible, um, as you describe them. Those realities like for Christians who walk by faith, there is the reality of resurrection. Um, that even though you face death, even though you go through death, we believe in this principle of life coming from death. And so, I mean, Paul talks about like, if we didn't have this faith, if we didn't have this hope that death can bring forth life, then we would be, of all people, Mm -hmm. most miserable. Like we would be the ultimate pessimist. Mm Like, we would be miserable because we don't have that faith. But I think at the same time, the language of faith, as Hebrew describes it, is things that we are counting on to be true um, that are not seen, right? Um, it is those things that we we believe in God. We believe that he rewards. We believe that these things are true. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so the way that a Christian perspective on life disrupts this whole pessimist, optimist thing is that element of faith. Um, it's And it works both directions because our faith teaches us the truer reality of both God's redemption and our fallenness. So while we like to think of faith as redeeming pessimism, faith also redeems unfounded idealism. Mm -hmm. It it redeems unfounded optimism where it, it reminds us, no, who we are as people apart from God, very broken, very horrible people. So yeah, it might just be as bad as some people mm-hmm. are saying. It, it, there is the possibility <laughs> that, yeah, that might actually be accurate. I love that picture of God's ability to redeem what I, I'm thinking of as a flimsy faith. Um, a flimsy faith would need and require everything to line up and be pretty 
and be good and uh, and no troubles in the way. Whereas a, a strong faith is able to say, oh, these things are true in the world. And it's it's the both and, just like we talked about in that episode with Jen Michelle. It, it's not the either or. It's not either things are all good and therefore God is good and and what he says is true, or because the world is bad, well, then God isn't here. He doesn't care. He's not good. It's actually that, oh, the world is broken, but yet there are good things and God is still in charge of it. It's both. And so it gives us that richer faith, um, the ability to look at both and acknowledge that they both are there. It's not turning the blind eye to the realities of the world, the injustices and the unrest and the violence, all of that. It, it's able to say that those things are true and yet there is still good. So I like this idea, Hannah. I, I love it that we can, um, because of faith, cultivate eyes to see the unseen. I'm also wondering this, though, is it faith that allows us to cultivate eyes to look for the good? Because there are things in the world, it's like, at first you could think of them as small delights or um, small things that are bringing you joy. Um, And they may seem flimsy, and yet when you do develop an eye toward them and you see them as good gifts, I feel like that that gratitude aspect, it, it changes how you view the world where you realize, oh, there's much more here that's good that I just am not noticing. I think it does draw your attention to goodness in the world, but I think it does it in a way that's different than we're accustomed to people saying, look Mm -hmm. for the good. Um, So what faith and spiritual formation do for us is they raise our awareness of goodness, but they also raise the standard of what is good. Uh Because I think a lot of times what we're doing is we are satisfied with trivial goodness, with trivialities. Mm -hmm. So so this is my experience of social media. You're scrolling through Twitter or Facebook and everything's just bad, (laughs) right? It's like bad negative posts about government, fighting, politics, grumpy people. (laughs) Oh, look, a puppy. (laughs) Oh, look. A recipe, you know, and so you have this, (laughs) yeah, so you have like this (laughs) flipping back and forth of really horrible negative things. And then you get this reprieve (laughs) because you see a cute animal or there's a song you like, or there's a, you know, great recipe you want to try. And those things are wonderful. And don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not dumping on that. I'm just saying that's how we tend to think of goodness in our life. We tend to be like, well, the goodness will lift me up when I'm feeling mm-hmm. bad, mm-hmm. right? So it's an antidote to all the negativity and it's a happy pill and it gives me that little bump of endorphins and now I can go back into a broken world. And I don't think that's the kind of goodness that Christianity is offering us. I don't think it's a life of survival or 
where there's just enough good things to get you through. I think what the call of Christianity is to a life of cultivated goodness, of seeking out goodness and bringing more goodness into the world and living insofar as possible within the center of goodness in this life. So it's not that suffering doesn't exist. It doesn't, it's not that sin doesn't exist, but that the arc of redemption is that God is restoring the goodness that he originally made into the world in Genesis 1, where he creates the world and calls it good. He creates human beings and he calls them good. And there is this fallenness that happens in Genesis 3, and we exist under that fallenness and we exist under that curse. But we also exist under the redemptive power of the gospel. And so for those of us who have incorporated that into our thinking, we now are moving through the world at a different trajectory. It is not just survive until you die and then you go to heaven and everything's good again. It is you are now living in the kingdom now in the midst of this brokenness. So your life and your eyes and your vision and your whole sense of what you're even pursuing is more Genesis 1 than Genesis 3. So it is this sense of you are now actively cultivating. You have the capacity to do the good works that God has prepared for you to do. So it's more than just I'm going to look for goodness in the world and be an optimistic person. (laughs) It's you are being redeemed. You are being equipped. You are being made capable of actually bringing goodness into the world. And, And that's a lot of what I was trying to wrestle with in All That's Good is it's not just this vision of life where you find the goodness and you, you know, hoard it away and you go find your safe place in the midst of the brokenness, but you are actively moving through the world, discerning what is good and preserving it, pointing other people to it, celebrating it and bringing more goodness into the world. Uh, My dad used to tell us when we were growing up that you should leave a place better than when Mm -hmm. you found it. So to me, that's what the Christian Mm -hmm. life is. Wherever you are moving, you are leaving that space better than when you first entered it. And so this, this mentality, this framework of thinking, coming back to how we're we're uh, addressing these things in this series. It's the idea that when you are embracing this idea of goodness, that you become an active participant in the cultivating of the good and and the rejoicing of the good, um, magnifying the good, contributing to the good. And so it changes our framework of thinking because it puts us in motion. It puts us in an active part of the kingdom rather than the flip, which would be I'm sitting back and and mourning over the world and just waiting until we we get to the next life. Right. And it's I think the question of are you an optimist or a pessimist is framed in a way that is somewhat 
passive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to life rather than what is the life you're building? And to me, the agency is a really key part of the Christian vision of goodness, that you are no longer just a consumer. And, and all the ways that the scripture talks about goodness and the filters we use, like in the book, I spend a lot of time with Philippians 4, 8, and 9, which is the passage that talks about um, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable to think on these things. Like this is how you should be thinking. Mm-hmm. It's not a question of are you are you thinking in optimistic terms or are you thinking in pessimistic terms? It's a certain way of thinking in virtuous terms, in true goodness. Um, and so sometimes truth thinking in a true way will lead you to see what's wrong mm-hmm. with something. But it will also lead you to see what's right with something, you know, uh, operating in a way, thinking a way that's lovely will lead you to see the beauty of something and compel you to be drawn to it and to sacrifice for it. And so what we're talking about goodness, a, a Christian frame is actually turning the whole conversation on its head where it's not so much only about what you're reacting to or consuming it's about the change that's happening in you and your ability to be an agent of goodness. So the question for me is no longer, is this thing good? Can I do it? It's, will this thing I'm spending my time, energy, and focus on bring more goodness into the world? That's such a good question, like a good um, kind of like a measure, kind of a guide for what am I trying to accomplish here? Because the goal of the Christian life is not to become this saccharine sweet optimist. And I think so often that can be held up as the picture is that, oh, that person is really godly. They're so sweet or something like that. Or naive. Right. And so it's like, oh, no, we're not saying that. It's, It's almost like to be this sort of person who is actively engaged in cultivating goodness, there's no way that you can stay in that naive place. You have to know all the variables, all the seen, all the unseen, all of what's good, all of what is not good, and be able to slice it down the middle and to to be able to to cultivate those seeds of goodness. I, I love that call and that vision that to me feels very um, not only exciting, but it it seems like it's something that is um, valid. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like this has weight. this has this has a good girth to it. Um, and I feel like it holds up under the pressure of the world today. Right. And I think what it does is it moves the question away from, okay, what's influencing your thinking? Are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? It changes that question to, um, as you think about things, do you think about yourself as an agent of goodness? Or are you just trying to survive this world? You know, so it, it, it flips the way we typically approach an issue or a conversation. And I think it allows for a greater latitude 
um, of creative uh, solutions, creative mm-hmm. problem solving, because then it's no more just how do I see this issue? Does my disposition toward pessimism or optimism color whether I think this is a good initiative? So what I'm describing does this. Let's say there's a proposal on the table, there's a bill or an issue or something. You know, in the typical framework of pessimism, of optimism, you say, oh, that's great. I love what they're trying to do. Or someone would say, oh, that'll never work. Mm-hmm. What seeking goodness does is, huh, that's a really interesting proposal. I can see why you came to it. But I wonder if we might tweak it ever so slightly so that it will actually reach goodness. And so it allows for this avenue to receive an issue and not immediately react to it, either positively or negatively, to weigh it for what it is and then see what it could be. Yeah. And I think that's that's needed. It's like a um, it's pulling back for the bigger view rather than diving into the to the midst and almost like getting worked up over the hot take of the issue. It's like, okay, let's pull back and let's see what would make this truly good. Um, We need more of that. And as we as we think about how to embrace this mentality of of goodness and cultivating goodness, I really appreciate um, some of those things that you pointed us to, Hannah. Um, as we close down this episode for today, please know that we will keep digging into these topics. I'm so glad that we have several more in the queue and we're, we're ready to dig into this a little bit deeper in the next episode um, as we continue on through this series. Now, I will put in the show notes Um our first two episodes of the series, there was Persuasion 156 was the kickoff. That one was Thinking It Through. Persuasion 157 is Thinking Twice with Jen Michelle. And we would love to have all of you contributing to this conversation. So, Hannah, do we have a question of the day? We do. Now, one of the things if you're going to move toward this kind of assumptions or presuppositions of goodness and seeking goodness and being an agent of goodness, you have to know where you're starting. So even though we talked about the fact that the question of being an optimist or a pessimist probably isn't the best question, it is important to stop long enough and recognize how you tend to think about things, even if it's in the false categories. So the question of the day is, do you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist, and why would you say that's the case? Can you think about reasons that have shaped your thinking or ways that you have experienced things that maybe lead you one direction or another? So are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? You can join us on Twitter, of course, at PersuasionCAPC and chat it up there. Uh, We're also on Instagram, and you can always join us in the Members Forum of Christ and Pop Culture. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can give the shows a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can search for us in iTunes under Christ and Pop Culture. All the shows will pop up there and you can listen to your heart's content. We do thank all of you for listening to Persuasion and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. 
an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.